0: whatever you drew should be dead accurate completely accurate and sadly enough i'm i'm really an impressionist i'm not going to draw every nut and bolt in the car my job is to tell that story jack kirby created those
1: characters i'm inclined to think that he created almost all of them by himself Kirby is on a par with Goya. Jack Kirby doesn't have a place in comic book history. He kind of is comic book history. Iron Water presents Siskoid's Mad Theory. Episode 3. This is Mad Theories, and I'm Professor Siskoid. My more sensible self might have mentioned a couple of half-baked theories on yesterday's special FW Presents on the occasion of Jack Kirby's 100th birthday. Let's finish baking them, shall we?
0: This isn't a biography. I just wanted to make a song about Jack Kirby. So here it is. Somewhere in a New York borough A little light flickered A little boy dream Maybe there's something bigger Something reality couldn't hold Inside his head Something that he'd never seen before Even more than his immigrant parents Or even school could teach him He gathered the newspapers Every day he'd read them Back before the crossovers Back before the blockbusters they it get all the way back They only knew him as Jack Dropped out of school Cause he drew too fast Paid his dues in the papers Back when animators First could make a stream Of something we'd only seen Inside our heads When he first Met names like Simon and Stanley but true believers, maybe you need to read up on your history Four worlds Jour into mystery. Now before the legacy give some respect where it's due to every comic fan I'm talking to you.
1: Now Grant Morrison's introduction in the Fourth World Omnibus is what set me on the path to understanding Kirby. It's obvious that Kirby's Fourth World books are a grand myth, but it's the notion that Mr. Miracle is Kirby's New Testament. That was the real clincher. If you've never read the original Fourth World stories, it might be easy to miss their original intent. My own first real exposure to Scott Free was in the madcap comedy of Justice League International, for example. But the story of High Father giving up his only son to save the world sounds kind of familiar, and for all the differences between Scott Free and Jesus, Scott still manages to find himself to Earth, where he follows in the footsteps of another prophet of freedom, Thaddeus Brown, as John the Baptist. In this cast, Big Barda as a converted tool of evil, and so on. But the Fourth World is not a translation of the Bible or of any other sacred text. It takes from different sources to create a comic book Bible. The Forever People draw on the new age counterculture, and the new gods seem largely based on Greek and Norse gods. It would have been surprising if Kirby didn't draw at least a little on his Tales of Asgard. But it's also a superhero comic, drawing on tropes integral to the genre. Human Myth never had so much punching in it. And look where the story starts. In the pages of Jimmy Olsen. What an odd choice for Kirby and DC to make. There must be a reason, even beyond the give me the one nobody's working on mentioned in the first omnibuses afterward. Well, if the king is to become a new voice in the wilderness, he needs to supplant the old order. Superman is that old-time religion, the sun worship of comics. Very appropriate. Maybe Batman is the moon to Superman's son. That's a whole other episode. What's important here is that Jimmy, the most faithful disciple of Superman, is turned into a hero in his own right, one with disciples of his own, the Newsboy Legion, on a spiritual path that is his own. He even rejects Superman, who is far less powerful under Kirby's pen than he was anywhere else at the time. It is Jimmy who discovers the fourth world as do we through him, and comes back down the mountain with a new message. From there, we will see a pure superhero myth spring forth where death rides on skis and the underworld is an industrial planet, where the gods have superpowers and the skies crackle with cosmic energy. By subverting this particular book, Jack Kirby effectively puts an end to the Silver
0: Age. And now they just call him the king.
1: What if Jack Kirby's Fourth World is a new comic book myth? How does that myth manifest itself? Well, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that, just as ancient sacred texts were working from their cultural and historical context, Kirby's Fourth World is working from the pure superhero comic book context. That's why it's such a hodgepodge in the first place. The Fourth World myth is at once mythology, science fiction, messianic gospel, new age philosophy, and superhero action. Superhero comics have likewise always been a fluid mix of action, pulp, science fiction, fantasy, romance, horror, comedy, etc. Is there any genre that you can't fit in a superhero comic in some way? In all four titles of The Fourth World, Jimmy Olsen, Forever People, New Gods, and Mr. Miracle, Kirby's Gods, Angels, Devils, and Prophets are high-concept, costumed, codenamed superheroes and villains. Combined with the fact that it crosses many genres, this is an important element to understand about The Fourth World to fully enjoy it. After all, without accepting that this is pure comic book myth, it is hard to accept a young alien godling who dresses like a cowboy, Seraphim, or dark-sized lieutenants modeling themselves on anything from Renaissance assassins like Canto to Prussian officers like Vermin Wunderbar. The names of most Fourth World characters are often ridiculous puns that only make sense in English. If read like any other story, it's hard to maintain suspension of disbelief. If read as comic book myth, which uses all comics tropes together, it becomes something else entirely. Another essential notion, Kirby's fourth world is written in the language of comics. Obviously, there are the unnatural but dynamic poses and the, the driving energy of panel transitions, but it's in the words, too. Read any secret text, and you will find an archaic style. Heightened prose, antiquated turns of phrase, parables. The fourth world's hyperbolic style must have been, already... Archaic in 1970 when the books came out, and from today's point of view might as well have been written in the Golden or Silver Ages, when crazy was beautiful. But this is pure comics, and just like we don't speak like the prophets of the Old Testament, no one really talks like Kirby's characters. The most energetic of which is the fourth world's omniscient narrator. Think of him as part Homer, part Mark, part J Rider, if you must, a close cousin of Stanley's salesman persona. Jack outstands even the man. One of the narrator's big things is the cover blurb. Look at um, Mr. Miracle number two. I'll read all the captions for you. This is the cover where Mr. Miracle is strapped to a piece of metal and knives are going in his direction with Oberon reacting. At the very top, What is a follower? Ever wear arrow discs? Who is Overlord? Just a few questions on his road to sudden death. Then in an arrow. Electric tension means... Mr. Miracle, super escape artist. Oberon screams, Your time has run out. It's too late to escape. I can't save you, Mr. Miracle. Then there's a... Caption box with Granny Goodness in it. it. So it says, also, meet Granny Goodness. She reaches out of this world to make deadly little things like the big bold letters X pit. And that's all in the same cover. Now, just how many does he need? Like a cosmic carnival barker, the narrator uses this comic book staple to its fullest extent, taking his cue, perhaps, from EC books and 80-page giants that had to advertise multiple stories, but caring little that only one is contained in the current issues pages. Kirby's narrator doesn't just present and explain the stories. He orders us to steal the next issue from the printers, rather than wait for it to appear at the newsstand. He tries to scare you by sicking the Black Racer on you. The prose isn't just purple, it's relentlessly in your face. If Jack Kirby creates a new myth, a new way, a new gospel of comics, it must have a message. And that message is freedom. Taken as a whole, the fourth world myth is about a conflict between the forces of New Genesis and Apocalypse. Darkseid's goal is to find the anti-life equation, which will give him control over everyone, everywhere. Darkseid is fascism, and the equation is ultimate fascism. Anti-life, is not death. Anti-life is the loss of free will. Kirby's messianic figure is thus Mr. Miracle, a super escape artist, who has escaped the fascist world of apocalypse, and bimonthly would free both his mind and his body from all manner of traps and cages. But beyond that, Kirby was given a great measure of creative freedom with these books. He teaches us to be ourselves, to go our own way, to in effect free our creative drives and create unique works of art, even within the boundaries of shared or corporated universes. Not only does he reinvent Jimmy Olsen and create three new titles filled with hordes of new characters and concepts, but he feels free to experiment artistically with psychedelic photo montage as well, for example. He is free to try anything, and as his disciples, so should we
0: he didn't want fame while for others the spotlight called their name in this age where we see the story splash on the page where we know books first by their creators names where comics they could have died if he never really tried and now everything we read has got a little of his game corporations can try to suck every dollar and cent out the masses who still buy every cover end. death that never sticks were big hollywood flicks died with the meaning of way back when back when jacob used to dream where he traced the magazines newspapers that he'd read too poor for more of it any- A single man took our dreams beyond anything that you and I had ever seen. Yeah, and now I just call him the king. And so I live with a lot of questions. I say, what's out there? And I try to resolve that. And I never can. I don't think anybody can. Who's got the answers? I sure would like to hear the ultimate one. But I haven't yet.
1: Now let's go back a little to a statement I made earlier in the show. Did I suggest the Silver Age of comics ended the minute Jack Kirby put his Fourth World series into motion? I did. My thought is not altogether an original one. Wikipedia, for example, gives the Fourth World as one of a handful of possible endpoints for the Silver Age, though without further commentary. The end of an era can hardly be discussed without understanding its beginning. And for the Silver Age, that's usually considered to be the first appearance of Barry Allen the Flash in Showcase number 4 in 1956. Why? Well, because these ages refer to superhero comics in particular. Though DC's Big Three were published uninterrupted through the 1950s, the multitude of superheroes spawned in the 40s had pretty much gone away in the wake of horror and crime comics popularity. After EC was effectively shut down by the New Comics Code Authority, publishers resurrected the superhero action comic to fill the void, but the superhero comic hardly comes to an end in 1970, despite the return of the horror genre through the 70s. If we look to DC Comics to establish a golden, silver, bronze age timeline, it may be because it's the company that's been around the long. Spawning more surviving characters in name, if not in body, than any other, as well as being first to revive the superhero genre in the pages of showcase. Jack Kirby, too, has been around that long. He came out of the golden age of comics to become indisputably the most influential artist of the Silver Age and of the entire American comics tradition. So while we're looking at DC for the overall timeline, Marvel Comics may well be the most important element in the superhero revival's longevity. While DC resurrected old names and kept old properties alive, Marvel created a mostly new stable of characters. Though it sometimes sounds like Stan Lee created it all single-handedly, the very fact of the Marvel method, with artists pretty much plotting out issues based on outlines with images alone, then a scriptor adding relevant dialogue to those pictures, it means the artist's input was as great as the writer's, and it becomes difficult to ascribe certain inventions to a lone writer. Setting character ownership aside, Kirby defined a style of storytelling that was more energetic, grander, more epic than what was being done elsewhere. His pages have a momentum all their own, probably developed by virtue of not working from a set script. They don't need the words. Abridging the Golden and Silver Ages as he does, Kirby is one to watch, just as DC is, in establishing the superhero comics timeline. If we need a historical point to mark the end of an age, Kirby provides us one by switching sides, as it were, at the end of the 60s. Leaving the company and shared world he helped create for the opportunity to start something new, but I'm less interested in history than in symbolism. After all, superhero iconography is incredibly symbolic. It's a genre full of tropes, archetypes, and chest emblems. So when I chart the end of the Silver Age to the very second Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen 133 was published, it is a symbolic changing of the guard I seek. First, there's the chosen champion to carry out such a change. Kirby, a man of all eras, is it. I find this both historically and creatively appropriate. Then there's the story content, wholly different from what that particular series had been doing before. And this is where I must pause to talk about what we've come to associate with the Silver Age style at DC, which is still our timeline holder. The stories were frequently high concept, one offs, silly and disposable, usually not even issue length. Today we celebrate the creative zaniness of such writers as Bob Haney and Robert Koeniger, their ideas at once. Uh, bold and ridiculous. No franchise was more Silver age than Superman's, with spinoffs like The Legion of Superheroes and Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen being particularly insane. Any given month, Jimmy might take Superman in as his roommate, find a caveman in a block of ice, and turn into a giant turtle, each story resolved in the space of eight pages. Now, enter Kirby. Suddenly, Jimmy is an action hero thrown into the beginnings of Kirby's fourth world. The story is action-packed, always to be continued into the next, and isn't even really isolated from Jack's other three titles. Jimmy, who was always subservient to Superman, now rejects him as a mother hen, and ultimately absorbs him into his supporting cast. Either on the cover or the splash page, the comic calls itself Superman's ex-pal, or boldly proclaims Superman Jimmy Olsen's pal. It's a reversal of everything that has gone before and done in the pages of a comic that, to this day is held up as representative of that particular Silver Age lunacy. And what comes next? Kirby brings to life an entire pantheon of characters using the purest possible comic book tropes. Granted, he's imported a lot of that from Marvel, a hyperbolic narrator, a more tightly bound shared universe, and the energy of his art style, but he's distilled what's worked for him and for other comics creators into something akin to pure genre. Did it stick? Did he usher in a new era of comic book making? That's debatable. I can't look at the 1970s and see a change in that direction of pure comics unless it is a Kirby book. Notoriously, the fourth world books weren't even well received. And yet, the new gods have been a mainstay of the DC Universe since. Far from forgotten, creators invariably try to bring them back for good or ill, and that includes Bruce Timm's WB cartoons and the current movie cycle. Superhero comics creators cannot get away from Kirby's influence or his creations. In any case, I doubt that Kirby tells us to be like him. Rather, as I said earlier, he wants us to be like ourselves, to go our own way. And that's something that is evident in comics today. And you know, my description of DC Silver Age doesn't sound like Marvel's. Marvel had its share of lunacy, sure you know, Ant-Man's catapult anyone, but its characters were psychologically a lot more human, uh, there was more soap opera woven into the stories and more a more continuous narrative, no isolated characters, etc. But Marvel still had a house style, different from DC's, but still very coherent. You know, Stan intimately running the show is responsible for that, surely. After Kirby's Fourth World, there's a sense that there's no set way of doing comics, even within the same universe. It may account for the renewed multiplicity of genres, horror, fantasy, whatever, and certainly gave birth to true originals like Steve Gerber to name just one. And eventually, to the rise of the independents. In any case, if we're looking for a symbolic clean break from the previous decade's tradition, Jimmy Olsen number 133 provides it. The title, best known and derided for its rampant Silver Ageism, becomes a new vehicle for action and originality, with its starring character vocally rejecting the old order and discovering a new mythology and methodology, along with the reader. Agree or disagree? Let us know at fwpodcasts.com. Mad theories may return. Leave your questions to the professor, either at fireandwaterpodcast.com, the Fire and Water Facebook page, or Twitter using hashtag FWPodcasts. All geek related topics acceptable.